Okay, continuing on in Exodus, Exodus 19. So I'm going to make an admission right on the front end. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I may not ask a whole lot of questions tonight. I'm going to ask some, and we might get to discuss some, but there's a whole lot here, and it's a whole lot to get through. So, And to be quite honest, when we get toward the end, there's something in here I don't understand. So we're going to have to talk about it, and we'll, we'll, see, uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us. What we're going to do is we begin, we're, going to in, we're entering into 19 and 20 are by far my favorite chapters of Exodus. Um, it is, 19 is the, the God descending upon Mount Sinai, and 20, of course, is the Ten Commandments and uh, the law being given. And then the rest of the book of Exodus, from here on out, from 19 verse 1, all the way through the end of the book of Exodus, which covers the better part of a year, um, Israel is camped at the bottom of Mount Sinai. So where they're at right now in, in chapter 19, they're not going to leave there in the book of Exodus. Uh, so we're going to just hear from here on out. We're going to hear the word of the Lord as he instructs them. Moses is going to go up the mountain and come back down the mountain seven times in, in the rest of Exodus. And he's going to receive instruction. He's going to see the laws. He's going to see the statutes from the Lord. He's going to be told how to, uh, the, the measurements for the tabernacle and all that, all that stuff is going to take place uh, starting now. So they're not going to leave in the book of Exodus uh, from this point, they're going to stay at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and it's here God is going to lay out the covenant for His people. Uh, he's going to give His stipulations of the covenant, the statutes of the covenant. Um, he's going to give them all, all of those things, and so, and so God will journey with His people um, to the Promised Land through through Leviticus, Numbers, and all those things. Um, but what we see here in verse 19, beginning in verse one, is the scene is set for us as Israel is camped now at what is just referred to as the mountain. It's referred to later in the chapter as Sinai, but it's the mountain in verse 1. It says, On the third new moon, which means three months, the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. And then verse 3 begins, while Moses went up to God. This is kind of a summary of what's going to happen uh, really through the rest of the book of Exodus. Moses is going to make seven treks up and, up and down the mountain, bringing God's word to the people, bringing the people's response back up to God, being the mediator for his people. And uh, we're going to be told the details of what Moses is doing throughout the rest of the book. Later in the chapter, like I said, the mountain is identified as Mount Sinai. But here you see in the first two verses, before we read anything else, the first two verses we have a fulfillment of God's promise. You remember what promise it is? I wouldn't have remembered it either, but I studied it all week, so I do remember it. Yeah, I'll be with you for sure. He did say that. So way back, way back in Exodus chapter 3, verses, verse 12, when Moses came to the burning bush and, the, and God called him from the bush and he said, I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to be my voice there. I want you to bring the people out of Egypt. Moses said, I, I can't go. I'm not qualified. I can't speak. All those things. And you remember what God said to him in chapter 3, verse 12? He said, I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this 
mountain. So this mountain is where Moses, um, God spoke to Moses in the burning bush. And this sign that he says would happen has now come to pass. The proof is fulfilled. He has brought them to the mountain. That is the sign that indeed, as Lao said, God is with him. That's what he said. I will be with you. And so we look at verses 3 through 6. It's Moses' first ascent up the mountain. Verses 3 through 6, it says this, Moses went up the mountain, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say, this is what you will say, to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a king of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God is commissioning Moses and then he's giving Moses the message that he wants Moses to bring. And he says, go back down. God commissions him to speak. And the message really includes three things. The first is you remind the people of what I've done for them. Verse four, he says, you, you remind them that they saw what I did to the Egyptians. What is he talking about right there? That's the easy one. Yeah, the plagues, the Red Sea, and all of that to do what? To glorify God and to deliver them out of slavery, to deliver them out of the bondage. You saw what I did. You you were there. You, You saw what I did. He's demonstrated to them his faithfulness and his power by delivering them from slavery in Egypt and destroying what was the greatest army in the world at the time, the Egyptian army in the sea before this Uh, this big group of unarmed people. And second, he said, I bore you on eagles' wings. I think this refers to just the the wilderness experience itself, taking them from Egypt to Sinai, you know, them going through the wilderness. He carried them along. And we saw that as we walked through Exodus. He protected them. He protected them from enemies outside and within. He tolerated them, you know, as they sinned over and over again. He instructed them. He nurtured them. And then thirdly, he says, and how I brought you to myself. God has done what he promised to do. They had come all this way, and now he's going to tell Moses, he's going to tell him basically, I'm going to come, and you're going to see my presence on Mount Sinai. Make sure you understand this, that they brought, God brought them to himself. A lot of times you will hear, especially in... uh, cultural settings today, the way things are, you'll hear that Exodus is the book of uh, freedom from oppression or freedom liberation theology or um, no. Uh, Exodus is a book about people being delivered to serve God, to serve God. There were lots and lots of slaves in, in all over the world at this time and you don't None of them were delivered. God delivered this particular people because he made a particular promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he brought them out of slavery in Egypt to serve him. He said, you will serve me on this mountain. Remember, we had that whole issue as we walked through the Exodus uh, where it was, it was Pharaoh and God fighting over whose people this is going to be. These are my people. And God said, no, these are my people. And that whole, that whole exchange was God redeeming this people for himself. And, and now that's been accomplished. So first thing, God tells Moses, God tells the people through Moses, remember what I've done for you. 
Remember that I destroyed your enemy that enslaved you and that I brought you as a, a, a mother eagle will nurture her young. I brought you to this place and I brought you to myself. And now all of that has been accomplished. He tells them in verse 5 what he requires. He says, if you indeed will obey my voice and keep my covenant, and then he has this list of blessings. You will be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And he says, Moses, this is what I want you to go tell the people. What God demanded, his covenant, which will be spelled out in the law that is given and all the statutes that are given through Exodus, Leviticus, and even some in Numbers, um, that covenant... What God demanded was nothing less than full obedience. He makes it clear. I mean, perfect covenant keeping was required for this relationship. He's perfectly holy, requires perfect holiness in His presence. This obedience, this keeping of the covenant is what we're going to look at when we get to 20, you know, the Ten Commandments and then all stipulations go with it. Now, many try to lessen the command by saying, you know, it's not about salvation here it's not about relationship with this god here you know it's about it's about just abiding and fellowshipping in his presence but i honestly i don't see the difference he's saying if you obey my voice and keep my covenant then you'll be my treasured possessions and you'll be a kingdom of priests and you'll be a holy nation so is that good news for the people of israel it should be so if you're a right-thinking person, and of course they haven't received the law yet, we know what the law is going to say, even just the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. Is that good news to you? If you keep my covenant, then I'll, I'll take you as my treasure possession. But why isn't it? Because you can't, and, and they can't either. And they're not going to, and you haven't, and I haven't, and nobody has. And so this condition, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my treasured possession. You will be you know, a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to me. This condition was never fulfilled perfectly until when? Answer is always Jesus. Jesus has come and kept the covenant. He's the only, he, he alone fulfilled this requirement. So the question comes when we, when we tie Old and New Testament together and we, we, we preach it all as one, we, the question comes, what about those Old Testament people? What about these Israelites that are at the foot of the mountain right here? Jesus is not going to come for thousands of years from now. What about these people? How are they the people of God? How are they called the people of God all through the Old Testament? And they are, and they are the people of God. How are they saved? If we're, how, are we, how, is that, how does that happen? They're saved the same way that we are, by grace through faith. And God gives them sacrifices until the time is fulfilled, that point to this sacrifice coming, point to this Messiah coming. Book of Hebrews spells that out plainly. All of these sacrifices, the bulls of blood and goat, uh, the bulls of blood and goats, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. It says it pointed toward this coming one who would keep the covenant perfectly, who would fulfill the law of God. And so here we see a condition that none of us have ever met, that Israel won't ever meet but it's the condition of God's covenant. So, so, so the law is given, God knowing these are sinful people, 
the, the people probably not knowing how sinful they actually were until, until they start receiving the law and trying to live by the law. But Israel comes to realize that the law is given by God to show people their hopelessness of ever being righteous. It's a mirror. It's a schoolmaster that points people to Christ saying, this is the law and you can't keep it. This is the law. How are you doing? This is the law. Have you kept it perfectly? And the answer is always for sinful humanity. No, I haven't done that. What do I do now? Well, you need to go to Christ for he has kept the law. He has kept the covenant. He has fulfilled these things. So this law that we're going to look, look at, it, it's not nullified. It's not done away with in the new covenant. It is fulfilled completely in the new covenant. And then Thereby, we can live, listen to me now, this might be controversial if I don't explain it very, very precisely. We can live by the law because we are walking in the Spirit. So the Spirit will lead us to live by the law, and we're not walking on eggshells all the time, worrying that if I do one little infraction, my father's going to throw me out of the house. No, the law's been kept perfectly, it's been fulfilled, and now we're free to live according to God's commandments, according to God's covenant stipulations, because the Spirit inside of us is leading us to do so. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Questions, comments, cries of outrage? No, we're free to live under the law. Well, we're free to live by the law under the Spirit. That makes sense? So, in the, this has nothing to do with, Genesis, uh, with Exodus 19, but it's it kind of important, so we're going to talk about it. Um, we, are, we keep the law as we live from a new heart, not by the letter of the law, but by the Spirit of God that leads us to do these things. So, um, it's not a matter of, Man, I have to keep God's command today. It's the Spirit of God changing our heart that gives me the desire to keep His command. And the freedom is knowing that Christ has kept it perfectly. So we're still in fallen flesh. If There are days when I don't keep it perfectly, but I don't have to fear that because Jesus has kept it perfectly. And so the law is not a burden hanging over my head anymore. It's not a way for me to be righteous before God uh, because it has been kept. And if it was, if it hadn't been kept by Jesus, there's no way I could be righteous before God. But by the Spirit of God, we are led to live by the commands of God. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So God gives the demand and then he gives the blessing that's attached to it. I think I made a slide too early. It says, this is what you'll say to the house of Jacob. Tell the people of Israel. Oh, I already did that. It says, now, therefore, if you'll indeed obey my voice, keep my commands, you shall be my treasured possession. This is, these are the blessings of the covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the blessings that will come with covenant with God. Have you heard that before anywhere? Kingdom of priests, holy nation, treasured possession, yeah, yeah. 
He says to them in, in Exodus 19, verse 6, he says to them that they will be his people. I will be your God, you will be my people. That is what he is uh, laying out. You'll be, you'll be loved by me, treasured by me in all of the earth, because all of the earth is mine. There'll be a kingdom of priests. They would be citizens of this new kingdom ruled by the divine king himself. And each citizen of the kingdom would be a priest themselves with the privilege of access to the, to the king's presence. And they would be not just priests unto God, but priests for God to the world. They would, they would be his priests in the world. Israel was not just chosen from all nations. They were chosen for all nations to bring this message, to, to bring the light to the Gentiles, it says in so many places in the Old Testament. This is what God revealed to Abraham when he said, in you, in your seed, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. Galatians 3, Paul tells us that was the gospel proclamation to Abraham. So not only is you going to be his position, but you're also going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a nation that's set apart for God, a people that is set apart for God, dedicating your life to service uh, to Him and set apart by Him, holy, living for Him. And just like the covenant demand is fulfilled in Christ and the law is fulfilled in Christ, we also see that these covenant blessings that come with the covenant are also fulfilled in Christ. Peter uses the exact same language of the body of Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's using the same language that God used to tell Moses, this is what you will tell the people of the benefit, the blessing of covenant with me. He is telling them God's promise has come to pass in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The covenant is now fulfilled. The covenant is, is completed and it's done. You are this nation, not because you have kept my law and you have kept my covenant. You haven't, but there has one, come one who stood in your place and has kept the covenant and has uh, given his life as a perfect sacrifice. Questions, comments, cries of outrage? Okay, y'all with me? All right. So having laid out the covenant stipulations, having laid out the blessings of the covenant, Moses now will go down from the mountain and he will present this to the people. In verse 7 it says, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. Do you think they understood the gravity of what they were doing right there? Yeah, well he hadn't given them the law yet either, so... They're just, okay, we'll be your people. I, I, I don't know if they understood, I don't know if they could have understood what, what exactly was happening here and the gravity of what they were agreeing to. I mean, their agreement certainly constitutes a commitment of faith that they would obey the voice of the Lord, that they would keep His statutes, that He would walk in His ways, all the things that Moses brought down to Him to them. But I wonder, and this is just speculation, there's no way we can know, I wonder if there was anyone there that thought, man, I want to see the fine print before I agree. <laughs> or anybody that realized the impossibility based on their own sinful hearts, their own sinful natures, that, that we could even begin to keep all of your statutes and all of your commands. You think anybody realized that? I, I have no idea what the answer is. I'm just asking you think so? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, they, they might have, but it, it, it certainly came to them later, for sure. Yeah. Have we ever done that? Made a vow to God? God, I promise. From now on. 
Have you ever made a vow that you kept? I only ask because as I think back on my life, I don't know that I don't know that I have. Huh? No, I'm talking about to God. Yeah, I kept that vow. Look, I'm not getting in trouble again. On yeah, Dana, I have kept my wedding vows. I'm talking about God, if you will get me out of this jam, I will never do this again. Think this again. Be this way again. I think about, you know, and I've often said, when you, when you make a bargain, we're not talking about a vow, but a bargain. When you make a bargain with God, God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. Anything you can offer, you already owe. So it doesn't, it's not really a bargain for God because you already owe him not to do that or obedience or whatever it is that you're bargaining with. But I can think of, I can think of just repentance and conviction for, for lots of different things. God, uh, you know, I'm never slipping off in this mud hole ever again, ever. I'm never going back to the way I was. I'm never going to think this way again. I'm never going to treat people this way again. I'm never going to, all the things that I'm vowing, I'm never going to do. And I look back and I think, man, it wasn't too long before you just stepped right off into that pothole again. Man, thank, thank God for Jesus who pays the covenant price. Because if it was up to me, I, there wouldn't be no salvation. If it was up to my power to live out obedience to God's law, there's no way. There's no way that I'd ever do it. And nobody else would either. So Moses brings, brings the word down to them of the covenant, and they agree. And we know that they can't understand the ramifications of all they're agreeing to. But, I mean, think about it. You're standing at the foot of the mountain. Moses has led you all the way out here, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, dead Egyptians, plagues everywhere. And he comes down the mountain and he says, God says he's going to be your God and you're going to be his people and all you have to do is listen to him and obey. What are you going to say? You're not going to say, nope. You're not going to do that. You're going to say, yes, I want to do this. I, I, I want to obey his commands. So what Moses does now is he brings their answer. This is the second ascent. He brings their answer back up to God. And it says in verse 8, And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So just in that short little verse, we have Moses going back up the mountain. And in verse 9 it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. Consecrate means to make holy, uh, set them apart, them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. So God tells, tells Moses that he is coming to meet with his people. He said, I'm going to bring you to me uh, in the burning bush, and he has done so. And now here they are assembled at the bottom of the mountain, and God is going to come to them. He's going to descend upon Mount Sinai in the thick cloud. And look at the reason that he is coming, or the reason that he's going to talk to Moses. He wants the people to hear him speak to Moses. He says, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you. And this is why he wants them to hear that they may believe you forever. So the people that will believe that Moses is telling them what God has told Moses to tell them. He himself will come to his people and he himself will demonstrate his power and his presence before them through Moses. So God tells Moses to prepare them. 
He tells them to prepare the people to meet with their God. And the first thing he tells them to do to prepare to meet their God, he says, consecrate them, set them apart. Consecrate means, as I said, to make holy, to set them apart. We're never quite told what he means. What does this mean? Does it mean make a sacrifice? Does it mean pray over them? Does it mean warn them? We're never told what this consecration actually means, but it means to make them, make them access, acceptable, to set them apart. And Moses, tell, uh, Moses is told that they must be ready when God comes two days from now, and they're to wash their garments. Why? Why are they to wash their garments? To be clean, yeah, is, yeah, to cl- be clean before God, yeah. It's also, also, if you have little kids, it's a good thing, it's a good thing to, you can hang that up, but you got you to gotta wear clean, good clothes on Sunday, whatever. Uh, you use that Bible verse out of context if you want to. Um, yeah, honestly, we're not really told why. You know, now there are times frequently in the Bible where clothes are used as kind of a picture of a person's nature. You know, the high priest in Zechariah 3, Joshua, his robes, dirty robes are taken off him and his clean robes are put on him. And so, you know, and you could make the connection that it's a reflection of them consecrating their hearts and their inside. We're not told any of that. It's just speculation. But, you know, you think about like a a bride wearing a wedding dress. You know, she's wearing the wedding dress and presenting herself in the wedding dress, not in order to be a bride, but because she is a bride. So all of that kind of factors into it, but honestly, we're just, we're just not told. They are to prepare themselves to meet with God. Dave, you got something? Yeah, it's a test of obedience. That's true. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah. Yes? I'm probably, probably. They've been traveling a while, she said, and they were probably dirty. I, I, I can almost guarantee they were dirty. <laughs> Hadn't had time to wash, yeah. And it's a lot of people. going to take a couple days, it says, to wash, you know. So they are to present themselves before. This is not a casual meeting that's about to happen. This is not, well, you know, I'm just going to bebop in God's presence, and we'll just hear what he has to say, and then we'll get back to dinner, you know. This is... God is coming. Holy God is coming. We need to prepare ourselves. We need to present ourselves. We need to, we need to be ready for Him. We need to, you know, and it's not that any external thing is going to make you ready, but they are to come to Him in the awe and the wonder that God deserves. Not only must they prepare themselves to meet God, but He also says the people are to separate themselves from God's holiness. Look at what it says in verse 12. It says, and you shall, he's talking to Moses now before he goes back down to the people. You shall set limits or boundaries, your translation may say, for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him. If you're the guy that's executing them, you can't even touch them or you'll be defiled. It says, no hand shall touch them, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. Not go into the mountain, but come up to, come up before the mountain. So he says, you set a boundary around this, this mountain. Because when I descend upon the mountain, the mountain itself will become holy. And it's serious. 
So you set boundaries around it and you warn the people that when God descends, when God comes in His glory, in the storm that we're going to see, the mountain itself is made holy by His presence, so it's inaccessible to sinful human beings. And the result for even touching the mountain is death. And it was so severe, the, the, not the defiling, but because the sinful person doesn't defile God's consecrated nature, God's holy nature, but it was so severe that, and so defiling to the person that you couldn't even touch them if you were going to execute them. They had to be shot or they had to be stoned. You couldn't lay a finger on them, couldn't lay a hand on them, couldn't touch the people or their unholiness would, would be on you. Even animals were included. He says to them, don't you come up to this mountain until you're summoned by the trumpet blast. In that... When the trumpet sounds, then you assemble before the mountain to meet with God. So hearing this, so Moses is going to go tell the people this. Hearing this, it may cause you to rethink this whole we agree to meet with God thing, right? You better not get too close, is what he's saying. God's dangerous. It's not safe to barge into His presence. Imagine you're, you're an Israelite and you're camped down at the Mount Sinai. You come all this way and there's a million, two million people. I mean, it's a bunch of people. It's a whole campsite around the mountain right here. And imagine the fear and the angst that would cause you camped at the foot of this mountain that if you touch it, you die. Think about parents worrying about their children thoughtlessly getting loose and crossing the boundary. My kids would be the first to cross the boundary. Or the shepherds with all of their animals, their, their flocks and things. If you allow one to get loose and it just happens to touch the mountain, die. I mean, what would this make you, like what, this would change your attitude about this whole event that's about to happen, wouldn't it? What would it make you think? What would be your first thoughts? Anything. You'd be afraid. Huh? Yeah, you would take it real serious, wouldn't you? It would make you think, this, this is, I mean, I can't think of a more emphatic word than serious, but it's more emphatic than serious. It's, it's deadly serious. I mean, the people were forced to be aware of the power and the holiness and the seriousness of what is about to happen, God's presence coming down upon this mountain. And not only... Were they forced to see the, the majesty and the holiness and the righteousness of God, but by barring off the mountain so that they can't touch it and warning them that if you do touch it, you will, you will die. It also, it also had to point to the fact consistently to them, as often as they were there around the mountain, that they were unworthy, that they were unholy, that they were sinful, that... They weren't able to go up the mountain. They weren't able to touch the mountain. They weren't able uh, as sinful people to come into the presence of God. The only one that was was their mediator, Moses. How terrifying would it have been? Man, terrifying to know that if I step across this line, that's it. My life is over. All because I'm a sinner. Yeah, Dave, sorry.
Yeah, I, I thought about that. I don't have a great answer. His question is, why do you think God made the punishment to be executed by people rather than God just striking them dead? We've seen him, you know, when Uzzah touched the ark, God struck him dead. You know, when Nahab, Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire, God struck him dead. Uh, so that's not, that's not without precedent. Um, I don't really have a great answer. I don't know. Yes, Scott. A test of obedience, yeah, that they would obey him. Maybe, you know, this is just, I have no basis for saying this at all. It's just a thought that comes to mind. Maybe it was to demonstrate, the, um, demonstrate that power and holiness and inapproachable glory to all the people that, you know, that would be, have to deal with this person who crossed over and transgressed the line. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't. So what lesson do we as New Testament believers take from this? About who God is, about how we come into His presence. Yeah, yeah. We have been given such a gift that we, that we in Christ can come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy. It's like being allowed to stand on the face of the Son without being harmed. And the only reason is because our mediator, not Moses, but Jesus has gone before us into the Holy of Holies, into the mountain of God, and procured that for us, bought that for us, redeemed us. Now we are the kingdom of priests that we all, you know, you don't need, you don't need Father so-and-so to usher you into the presence of God. You have a relationship with God. You can walk into the presence of God. You can come into the presence of God. And sometimes in my own life, I fear sometimes that I might take that too flippantly, that I might take that for granted too often. What a, an amazing, miraculous, awe-inspiring Thing that I in Christ am allowed to step onto the place that no one was allowed to step on or they would face death. We'll see at the end of this, if I, if I don't hurry up, we ain't going to get to it, but at the end of this, the writer of Hebrews says, you haven't come to Mount Sinai that can't be touched. You've come to Mount Zion uh, where there's singing and joy and praise. I mean, it's just, it, it's amazing. I don't know if I'm expressing how amazing I think it is. Yes. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, with the trumpet, God's coming down. Don't you think some of the people were really excited? Excited? I'm sure. Until Moses told them, you're going to die if you touch the mountain. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, they wouldn't want to touch the mountain. Yeah. I mean, she asked if they were careful, excited. I'm going to be excited when I see Jesus face to face. Yeah. So, yes, I, yes and no, both. Yes, you're going to be excited to see Jesus because he's paid for your sin. There's nothing on your account. You walk in righteousness because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to see in the next two chapters of Exodus when we get to them, these people were terrified. They, in fact, said to Moses, look, we don't want to go up there. We don't want to be in his presence. You go up and you talk to him and you tell us what he said. We don't want anything. They were terrified. 
Now, I don't know if they were that terrified as this, you know, Moses just walking down the mountain telling them, hey, God's coming, and when he comes. But I guarantee you, when that lightning, thunderstorm, fire, earthquake happened on Mount Sinai, man, my boots would be shaking. The whole ground is shaking. It says they trembled. We'll, we'll read it in a minute. They trembled before him. Yeah, there may have been some that were excited, but they were terrified. They were terrified. And God is teaching his people here the seriousness of dealing with an almighty, holy, righteous, omnipotent God. So he gives Moses these instructions, and Moses obeys his word in verse 14 by going down and doing this, by consecrating the people and warning them. So Moses went down. This is the second time coming down. Moses went down to the people, and he consecrated the people. He set them apart. Uh, we don't know what that means. Did he make sacrifice? Did he pray over them? We're not, we're not sure. It doesn't say. Um, but he, he consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. They obeyed what God had said. They began to do it. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Who, who, wants, to, who wants to take that? Anybody? <laughs> okay, verse 16. No, no, no. We'll deal with it. We'll deal with it. So before he repeated God's word to the people, he consecrated them. He was acting as God's mediator for the people. It wasn't Moses just walking around going, you're consecrated, you're consecrated. He was acting as God's mediator between God and the people. And we're not told what he did, like I said, but they washed their garments, and then they're, they're going to be warned to be ready. Be ready on the third day. And then you got this strange warning, don't go near a woman. What does that mean? I want somebody else to say it. <laughs> I'm not repeating that. I'm not repeating that. He's prohibiting, he's prohibiting sexual intercourse. He's prohibiting, and God's only provision for sexual intercourse is in the confines of a marriage between one man and one woman. So he's prohibiting sexual intercourse between married couples. Here. Now, long story short, I don't have time to go through all the ins and the outs, but this does not mean that sex between a husband and wife is, is somehow inherently dirty or inherently sinful or inherently making someone unclean. I think this is a preparation of the heart um, and a fast so that their hearts would be holy upon God. There are special occasions of prayer and fasting, preparation and worship that call for fastings from various things, uh, that things that often control our focus and take our thoughts off of God. Paul gives in the New Testament the same kind of admonition to husbands and wives regarding physical intimacy in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, do not deprive one another. He's talking to husbands and wives except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay? Moving on. On the third day, God's presence comes to his people. This is, this, if I was a filmmaker, I would make a movie. This is, the scene just plays out in your mind and you just, you're just captivated by it. It says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the very loud trumpet blast. Can you imagine what a loud trumpet from heaven would sound like? Uh, we'll get to know eventually. We'll get to know one day. But can you imagine this sound, this sound of a, I mean, it's not a foghorn, it's a trumpet. But can you imagine how loud this, this sounding is? And, and, and so that all the people in the camp trembled. You better believe it. 
This storm comes down. This sound of this trumpet just comes louder and louder, what we're told in the next, in the next chapter, or in this chapter. And Moses brought the people out of the camp. They heard the sound of the trumpet. They come out of the camp with Moses to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. They stood before the mountain. They didn't touch the mountain. And now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So God descends upon this mountain in a storm, thunders and lightnings and, and clouds and, and the sound of a trumpet. It's like, it's like the whole creation reacted to the coming of the Creator to this one particular point to meet His people. And what they witnessed that day was, man, just one of the most awe-inspiring, terrifying displays of God's power that anyone has ever seen. And they tremble at the sight. They're so afraid, they're physically shaking. Even as brave as Moses was, he was terrified as well. It tells us in Hebrews 12, 21, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. And it is in this fear that the people of God assemble before God, in the presence of God, before the mountain, and they stand there. The mountain was covered in smoke. The mountain itself was shaking. It's just a picture in my mind of, of the Holy of Holies and the Shekinah glory cloud of God there, and He's in the cloud, and they're standing before it, and they can't go in because of their sinfulness, and there's earthquakes, and the mountain is shaking itself. Mount Sinai was as scary feeling as it was scary looking. Everything about this inspired the fear of God in these people. And now God renews his warning to the people. And this is very strange to me. This is the part I said, I don't understand. So maybe you can help me. So as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, now look at this, the trumpet's blaring and now the trumpet's getting louder and it's getting louder and it's getting louder. And as the trumpet continued to sound louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. Some of your translations may say in a voice. I'll deal with that in a minute. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to go to the top of the mountain. So God is speaking to Moses out of the mountain and the people hear God speaking to Moses out of the mountain. And then the Lord comes down on the top of the mountain and calls Moses out of the people up to the mountain. And Moses went up. Now, um, so yeah, I lost my place, but now I got it again. So Moses speaks to God on the mountain and God answers him in thunder. Um, the word for thunder is kol, which is also the word for voice in Hebrew. So technically, either translation can be right, and it's by context that we understand which one it is. There's good reason to believe it could be either one, and ultimately it doesn't matter with the point. But um, in the context of what's going on, it seems okay to say thunder. I mean, the word does mean thunder, and there's thunderings going on, there's lightnings, there's all of that. God speaks to Moses in this thunder, and the people hear him speak to Moses. Um, but I, I think, and this is just an opinion, I'm not dying on this hill, so, you know, whatever, don't string me up. I think it should be, and he spoke to them in a voice. What is, is that what your NIV says or whatever? They spoke to him in a voice? 
And this is why I think that, because number one, he said, I'm coming down to you so that the people will hear me speak to you. And then in Deuteronomy 4.12, the people answer to Moses and say that they understood God's voice as he spoke. So regardless of whether it's thunder or voice, the point is the same. The people knew that Moses was speaking to God, and God was speaking to Moses. They people knew that Moses was God's prophet. He was to give God's message. He was their mediator. And as their mediator, Moses is summoned up into the Holy of Holies, as it were, to meet with God, up into the mountain, where there's where into the cloud, into the smoke, while the people stayed at the bottom. Listen, to be ready for the king's descending with the trumpet sound and the lightning flash when he descends in glory and there's an earthquake in the last day and all of that, we need a mediator. We need a mediator who's going to go in and bridge the gap, who's going to enter into the Holy of Holies, to enter into the presence of God in our place and bridge the gap between God and man. That mediator is Jesus. Jesus is pointed to all through Genesis and now all through Exodus. And what God tells Moses to do when he calls him up out of the people, up to the top of the mountain, what God tells Moses to do is so strange to me. He says, I thought I understood it, and then today I was studying it again, and I, I just don't. He says to them, and the Lord said to Moses, he's called him up out to the top of the mountain, he says, go down and you warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest, they, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people can't come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And just to show you what's next, he doesn't answer him. He just says, go. And the Lord said, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but don't let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest, uh, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down, the people told, and told them. That's it. So he renews the warning that he gave earlier. And Moses himself doesn't even understand why you're giving this warning. You said block off the mountain. We blocked off the mountain. They can't come up here. I thought, you know, Why? And I think I understand the two people groups that he's talking to. Verse 21, he says, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and perish. And many of them perish. So what I think, and all I've got is opinion, so you can help if you want. What I think is the people may be tempted. Of course, they're curious. They want to look. You know, they want to see. But they may be tempted to think, hey, we con we're consecrated by Moses. We've washed our garments. We've stayed away from our wives. We've done all the things that we're supposed to do. Therefore, we're holy and we're ready. And so we can go. God's saying, no, 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 no. What you do and what you, you know, your pre preparations to come, that doesn't make you holy to come to my mountain. You warn the people. And then he says, and then you warn the priests as well who come near to the Lord. They have to consecrate themselves as well. They can't come just based on their office, just because you hold the office of priest. Now, at this point, the priesthood hadn't been established yet, but we're going to find out in chapter 24 that uh, the firstborn sons of the family were functioning, doing the work of the priest at this time. So he's saying, don't think that you can come up this mountain just because you've 
consecrated yourself and prepared yourself and changed your garments and done all the things that you need to do, don't think that makes you holy to come in my presence. And you priests who are coming before God and doing the work of the priests in, in, in Israel, don't think just because the office that you hold that you don't have to consecrate yourself or that you can somehow uh, sneak up here and I'm not going to break out against you. Does that sound right? Does that sound plausible? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe familiarity just breeds or or what's that? I don't know. I don't know what that saying is. I don't do sayings. We'll just do this. Maybe maybe they just stood there long enough and they got used to this storm going on. Hey, I want to check out the storm. You know, to go up and look, to go I, I don't know. But God tells Moses, "You better go back down there and you better warn them again." And you better tell them that they break out against me. I'm going to break out against them. You tell them they come up, they come up this mountain. They're going to die. And, oh, sorry, Hula. What do you want? Because he was chosen by God to be their mediator. That's it. That's it. There was nothing inherent in Moses, a sinner just like everybody else. So there's nothing inherent in Moses that that qualified him to come into the presence of God other than just God's grace allowing it. He would be the mediator that ultimately points to Christ. Yep. And Aaron would be the priest, and that's why he says, go get Aaron. Yes? Yes. Maybe so. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. She said there's several times in Exodus that we're going to see that some of the leaders, Miriam and what's the other guy's name? Um, Korah and several people uh, show up and say, hey, we're just as good as Moses. We're, we can speak to God just like Moses can. Maybe God was sensing that some of this is going on or some of this is in their hearts. He said, you better tell them. Moses, you better go tell them. They better not come up here. They better not come up here. And Moses says, they can't come up here. We blocked the whole thing off, just like you said. And he says, you better go get Aaron, and you better tell him not to come up here. And that's it. And Moses says, okay. And he goes. And, yes, Evan. When you study the words, is there any significance in the phrase, and the Lord breaks out against him? What does that mean? Um, no, well, I, haven't, I didn't study that, so sorry. He asked if there was any significance in the, the phrase, the Lord break out against him. Other than, other than the Lord, you know, kill them and release holiness on them or, or whatever. Other than that, I don't know if there's uh... Yeah. So what I had a hard time squaring was they're quaking in fear and now they're curious and want to go up. But there must have been something going on in their hearts. Yeah, I guess so. It's been a long time since I had a toddler. No. She said, she, let me repeat what she said, and then I'll let you speak loud. And Don, did you raise your hand too? Yeah. Yes, yes. Lyle? Oh, wait a minute. Go ahead. You. Going up the mountain, coming down the mountain, going back up the mountain, coming back. I mean, that took more than a day to get there. Oh, yeah, probably. 
probably. And he's going to go up four more times before Exodus. I think so. I think so. Now they're camping at the base of the mountain, and it says they came out of their camp and they stood before the mountain. I don't know if they just continued to stand there as they were going up and down. They, they, n- yes, earlier, no, now. So it says when God spoke to Moses before the people down at the base of the mountain, he was speaking to Moses from the mountain and they heard it as thunder or voice. And the people heard it. So yes, they heard it. But then God called Moses up to the top of the mountain and he gives him this warning again. You better go back down there and you better tell them not to come and break through the barriers of this mountain. Yes. Okay, Uh, that's entirely plausible. He said that they trembled when God came down the mountain, and then when they heard God speaking to Moses, it's like, oh, we can talk to God. Let's all go up on, you know, and and God was warning them, no, 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 don't you come up here. So the presence of God, Moses doesn't even understand why, but he obeys. And the last two verses we read a minute ago, he said, Moses says, well, they can't come up here. God just reiterates the warning. Go down there and you better tell them. Tell the people and the priests not to come through. Not to. I think that's where it is, Evan. I was looking for that earlier on the screen. The people break through to come to the Lord lest he break out against them. Uh, if they try to bum rush his presence, he's going to bum rush them with holiness. And so Moses went back down and he told the people. And then the next chapter we'll get to is, is the giving of the law. So... Presence of God with His people here at Mount Sinai. Blessing, but a terrifying scene as well. What does this have to do with us who are in Christ? And we don't have much time, so I'm not going to let you answer that question. I'm going to answer it myself. I'm going to answer it by reading Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, as soon as it comes up. In Hebrews it says, for you have not come to what may be touched. What? For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, a darkness, a gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. We'll see that in the next chapter. What's he talking about? He's talking about Mount Sinai. For they could not endure the order that was given to them. Even if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned, it shall be killed. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. He says, you haven't come to that mountain. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, its celebratory celebration gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And you've come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Not Moses, the mediator of the old, but Jesus, the mediator of the new. And you have come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than Abel. Remember it says, 
when we went through Genesis, it says Abel's blood cries out in vengeance against you from the ground to Cain. He says, you've come to, you've come to the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word. It's not calling for your, your vengeance upon you. It's calling for your redemption and your salvation. The contrast is striking. One mountain is dark and scary. One's characterized by singing and joy. One's a place of fear and danger. One's a, a place of peace and safety. One's designed to keep people away and the others designed to draw them near and it says in the last two verses uh, after this it says see that you do not refuse him who is speaking just as God spoke from Sinai and gave that law gave those commandments they could not and would not refuse that law he says see now that you have come to Zion do not refuse him who is speaking for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth meaning Sinai much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At the, that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. What he's saying there is he's saying, listen, if that voice shook the earth, and that voice was terrifying, and that voice was giving you the command and stipulation, and you knew not to refuse it because it was scary. The voice that tells you to come to Mount Zion, come to Jesus, follow Jesus, don't refuse that, because there's going to come a day when He doesn't just shake the earth as He did in Sinai, but He shakes the entire creation, heavens and earth, and makes a new creation, and you will be left out of that day if you refuse him who is speaking from heaven now. Do you see the contrast between Sinai and Mount Zion? He's still today, even for us in Christ, he's still a holy God. He's still a dangerous God. He's still a terrifying God. At his coming, you will see the, the terrifying holiness of God. And it won't be just a mountain shaking. It'll be everything shaking. And he says, don't turn away the one who warns you from heaven. Because for those who are in Christ, it won't be a terrifying day at all. It'll be a day of rejoicing. It'll be a day of celebration. It'll be a day of joyful tears and reunion and redemption and the, the, the realization of what we've been longing for in this fallen creation since day one. It, it'll, be, it'll be glorious it's, it's, it's the same, you know, when I used to, oh, I ain't got time to tell a story. Yeah, we got to go. All right, I was going to tell you, like, you guys know, like, I, I used to know, I used to know. My, my, my boys were not, they were not the well best behaved kids. I know, shocked, I know. But I could tell whether they got in trouble at school when I come home by the look on their face. They wasn't happy to see me when I come home. But if nothing happened and they were good, everything's good, I got an A on my program, but hey, Dad, what's up, Dad? Come on in. Let's... Jesus paid for our sin. When we see him coming in power and glory, there ain't nothing on my account because Christ has saved us. It'll be a joyful day. It'll be a, it'll be a glorious day. Man, we, we got to make sure we're ready. We got to have our garments washed in the blood of the Lamb. Be sure. Be sure. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, we, uh, we thank you for your glory, your presence, your gospel, as we look at your holiness and your power and your majesty and just the awe the, the, of your nature. God, we, we just, words just don't do justice to the realization of what we've been given 
in the gospel and what you've done for us by sending your son to die on the cross for us that we, that, that we would be able to come into your presence, that we would be able to come boldly to the throne of grace. It, it boggles the imagination, God, of what you've done. Let us never take it for granted. Let us never get tired of hearing it. Let us never get used to it, but, but walk in, in awe and wonder of your glorious truth every single moment of our lives. God, show us your power, show us your glory, and show us that power and glory working for our good because we have a mediator that has bridged the gap forever, eternally making perfect those who are being sanctified in him. God, we thank you and we rejoice. Even in our sorrows in this life, even in our sufferings in this life, you are worthy of praise and glory and honor forever and ever. God, we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The praise band wants to get started early practicing tonight so they can get out of here.